Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. We are in this second stage of the book of Romans. That first stage, uh, I, we've kind of looked at it as if uh, the apostle there is, is presenting before all nations, all people of any stripe, any kind, he is presenting to them their desperate need of salvation. So when he starts by saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's kind of like this teaching process. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Paul, why aren't you ashamed of the gospel? Well, because it is God's power for salvation for everyone who believes. Paul, why do we need to be saved? And so he takes that first section and says, there's just no one has an excuse and so he ends it and just says every mouth is stopped. Everyone is silenced uh, before the Lord. And then the, the beautiful rush of the gospel comes and says, but now a righteousness of God has been revealed, a righteousness that is ours by faith alone in Christ alone. And so what a sinful heart does at that moment is it conjures up all types of objections to the gospel. And I think we need to be aware of this because even in our own hearts there are times uh, that we just don't want to rest on the gospel. And I even confess as a minister who preaches the gospel almost every week, there are times I just want to rest on something that I've done, something that I've accomplished, my own good works, my own record with my kids, whatever it is. Uh, and so the sinful human heart constantly will set up its own little righteous acts. And so he now is, is in response to that, he is answering it. So last week, we, we looked at the idea of what about the patriarchs? So their response was, wait a minute, Paul, what about Abraham? What about David? You can't tell me those guys were saved by faith alone in Christ alone. And he's like, oh, absolutely they were. And so today we get to the second objection. And really, these objections come under the headline of the, the person who says, well, what about our boasting? Right? I mean, that, that's, what will we boast on? What will we, what will we hold on to that makes us feel a little bit better than the next person? What happens with our boasting? Well, he's not, you're not going to boast in your good works. And, and this morning, he's like, you're, you're not even going to boast in your circumcision. So uh, that's Romans chapter 4, verses 9 to 12. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. So the blessing of justification, that's, that's the topic. Romans 4, 9-12. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but always walk in the faith, in the footsteps of the faith, that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. I titled this sermon Blended Family, and we'll get to that in a minute. Um, the sermon in the sentence this morning is putting our faith in sacraments. It not only misses the meaning and purpose of the sacraments, but it does rob us of its benefits. Now, I understand that this text might be a bit confusing, 
okay? Um, you know, and I talk about this when I do funerals, and it's a person I don't know, that oftentimes people will uh, recount all of their righteous deeds to me, as if uh, the pastor who buries them has the keys to heaven and hell, and the family's trying to make sure that Uncle Bob gets there. And I've never, ever had one person say, you know, Uncle Bob was circumcised. <laughs> I've never asked, <laughs> but I've never had somebody say that. And so when we read this text, you're like, right, right, like, okay, uh, yeah, but what are we going to do with this? That word comes in there so many times, it's a bit awkward. I'm glad we're not facing each other, right? Uh, but, but I want you to see it in this manner. I, I did a funeral for a man I didn't know well last year. And uh, here's what I did know about that man. When he was in town, he would come and worship at Three Rivers. And when he would come worship at Three Rivers, we have the Lord's Supper every week. And when I administer the Lord's Supper, I, I do several things, but two really important things. I uh, fence the table, what's called fencing the table. It is, I, I tell people, don't come if this is the state of your heart. This is only for you if you believe and rest upon Christ. And I invite people. And uh, it may even get, uh, you may just get tired of hearing those same words over and over again, but it truly is a warning. It is a warning to not take this lightly to not uh, treat it improperly, um, but also a call to conversion. So you probably heard me say that. It's the Presbyterian altar call, right? It's, we're not coming to an altar. Christ has already been sacrificed. He's been raised from the dead. We're invited to a table. And who's invited to the table? Those who have abandoned every form of righteousness other than Christ and are hungry for it. And so when I did this person's funeral, I didn't ask did their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds? I didn't ask, do you have a certificate of when he was baptized, what church he belonged to? I recounted on what I had seen. I had seen that man repent of his sins and come to the table. And I said, judging on what I have seen, again, I, I am not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I don't have the Lamb's Book of Life in the office there. Uh, but what I have seen gives me sufficient reason to trust that he is reunited with his Savior even now. Um, circumcision in Paul's audience amongst Jewish believers was that. It is what separated nations. It is what they would look towards and say, I was circumcised, I was marked amongst the people of God. The closest thing we have to that today is our baptism. Right? And so the churches argue over baptism. There are splits over baptism. Uh, we have a whole denomination of Reformed Baptists that I wish we could just embrace and do mission work together, and we do. Under Acts 29, we do a lot of that mission work together. But we disagree over, do you baptize an infant or don't you baptize an infant? So there's a lot, a lot of uh, question and argument that goes on in that. But for this morning's purpose, I think that's probably the best thing for us to think about. And it's important that we do this when we read the Scriptures. Right? We do a couple of things. We read the Scriptures, and we read it in context. That's why we spent months to get to chapter 4. 
We read it in its context as it was given to us. We understand the whole form of the argument, but we also, we, we look at the people it was written to. Right? And it's really important we do this because so many evangelicals will just grab this verse out of context and they will claim it in some way that it was never, ever intended to be claimed. Right? And you know I talk about this because it drives me nuts when I go into a salesman's office and he says, I can do all things. Philippians 4. Like, no, you can't. <laughs> you can't sell me a car. Uh, you know what I mean? It's it just it's taken out of context. So we look at the people, right? Who are these people? They were people that were tempted to think. We have a better standing with God Almighty because of an external ritual and rite that was done to us. And for many of us, and in our culture, we may look at baptism that way. Like, uh, we got to get that baby done, right? Whew, something could happen. I, I, I've, I've talked to people like that. we got to get him in here quick, you know? Have you seen my wife drive? <laughs> got to get him in here, right? Uh, and, and then again at funerals. He was baptized in the state, so we know that, man, we've, we've got him done. We've, got our, we've, we've forced our kids through this. So we ask ourselves, what did it mean to the original recipients? We ask ourselves as we read the scriptures, uh, what do we share in common with those recipients? And then we ask ourselves, uh, how does who God is and what Jesus has done and is doing, how does he address this? What is beautiful about the sacrament that we are to take uh, is that it, it blends this family. So uh, I have brothers who plant churches and their sole purpose, it seems, is to reconcile races. We're gonna, the, the focus of our church is to reconcile races. And when I talk to them, I tell them that's way too shallow a focus. If, if your whole desire is just to reconcile races, start a football team. Start a baseball team. It's so easy to do in sports. Why is it so hard to do in a church? Because of this. Various forms of self-righteousness, be it culture, political parties, the gender. It's, it's, it's so difficult, and yet it's right here. Our God says Abraham is the father of the circumcised and the uncircumcised. Abraham is the father who would bring these together. He is the type of Christ that would bring all nations of every tribe and color and tongue and would bring them together. Uh, tribalism, racism, classism, caste systems. There's nothing new. There's nothing unique in the U.S. It happens with all humanity everywhere. I'm not saying that to make little of it. I'm saying that to, to point out the ubiquitousness of it. It is everywhere. And it's in the church. Self-righteousness divides people. And here the apostle is addressing something held very deeply in the hearts of those Jewish believers. If you read the book of Galatians, he deals with it. In the book of Galatians, he, he, you, you have this account of Peter. Peter, uh, he, is, he is eating with Gentiles. 
And, and then James and some of the Jewish brothers in the faith, they come and join him. And the Apostle Paul notices that when the Jewish brothers come, that, that uh, Peter and Barnabas follows him, they, they, they withdraw from eating at the table with Gentiles because that was unclean for a Jew. And what does Paul say? He doesn't say, oh, shame on you, Peter, you racist. No, he says, Peter, you are living a life that is out of accord with the gospel. Did you catch that in our membership vows? Do you promise to live as becomes the followers of Jesus? Right? And so Paul says, uh, Peter, you, you've drawn Barnabas away. You've, you've missed a wonderful opportunity amongst our Jewish brothers. Because you've acted as if the gospel isn't true. Um, so here we come that uh, faith, not circumcision, will unite Jews and Greeks. And it will make the jump over cultures and races. Um, so uh, this morning, we're going to just go through this text. It, it, I call it the second objection. So the first objection that we received to the gospel was, are you saying that good works don't count towards my salvation? And, and so remember last week, he, he mentioned Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then he quotes from Psalm 32 and says, is David, even David spoke of the blessing of having sins forgiving. Um, so the second objection Abraham and David weren't saved by their works. Were they saved by circumcision? And so in Genesis 17, Abraham is circumcised. He is 99 years old when he is circumcised. Um, he, it, it's about, I forget how many years after he is called in Genesis 15 uh, to when he is circumcised. But the, uh, the, their second objection is, does it not count for something? Now, before we're too hard on them, uh, you need to know the importance of it. It was a very, very important thing for a Jewish person, a man, to be circumcised. In uh, Exodus chapter 4, uh, we, we pick up on Moses and Zipporah, right? Moses, uh, a Hebrew, hidden, flees, goes and lives in the wilderness, I'm sure in his mind, in his heart, he's like, I've been estranged from God's people. I'm going to stay away from God's people. I've disassociated myself with God's people. They're slaves in Egypt. Uh, I'm just going to live out here in the desert with my wife. Uh, God calls him. And in Exodus 4, it's really an interesting, uh, really interesting text. Um, the Lord, it says the Lord meant to kill him. So probably Moses was struck with some form of illness, and it was made clear to them and to his wife Moses is about to die. Why? Because he failed to circumcise his son. And so Zipporah, his wife, circumcises his son. And she looks at Moses and she goes, you are a bridegroom of blood to me. You know what she's saying? Moses, you failed our family. You have failed our family. And I've had to step in and do what you should have done to your son. So before we treat them too harshly, understand that it was instituted by God. He was told to do this. When Abraham was circumcised, his whole 
family, all of his servants, so his, his workers, all of them were circumcised at the same time. It was a, as a sign to the world. It had to do with the seed being passed on, that God had chosen a people for himself. It did not save them. And that's the point he makes here. Point two. Um, man, I got so many notes here, I'm skipping over. Uh, yeah, let me not quite get to point two yet. Um, <laughs> well, I was talking to somebody even today uh, about it. Um, some, sometimes when, uh, when a child is born, and I was saying that before, you know, it, there is a rush to get it done. And, and sometimes uh, it'll be a grandparent that will say, uh, I, can't get my I can't get my daughter to baptize the child. And um, the daughter and her husband may not be believers at all. And yet there's this pressure. Please, please get your baby christened. Please, please get your baby baptized. And, and, it's, and it's treated again in such a way that it, that it secures them. And I, we, we want that, though. We want some external sign that I'm saved. And as a parent, you absolutely want that for your child. You just want to go to bed at night, like, I know they've done this, 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 and, and, and you know, but, but they were baptized. Right? We, 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 we want something like that. And um, Christian baptism isn't that. It isn't that. And so he, he answers that objection then by pointing out what I wrote in your notes as the ordo salutis, the order of salvation. Now, it's, it's, it's in a, a short form, right? But the short form is, in verse 10, how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised. It was not after, it was before he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Yeah, it's in Genesis 15. Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. And he wasn't, he wasn't circumcised until Genesis 17. Uh, we briefly touched on this last week. What happened in Genesis 16? He, he, he took his wife's servant and had a child with her, Ishmael, right? Because he didn't have faith in chapter 16 that God was going to fulfill his promise. And so he took it upon himself. It must be that I do what the pagans do around in order to carry on my bloodline because my wife ain't getting pregnant and I'm a 99-year-old man, right? And he takes it upon himself and yet he is circumcised in chapter 17. And so the apostle is saying even circumcision it is a sign of what has happened in the heart. Abraham was circumcised because he believed. Now that creates issues for us who baptize children. I'll touch on just just briefly touch on that. But when we baptize our children, what we are saying in that same manner that Moses was to circumcise his son and say, "My son is born into a covenant community. He will be taught the ordinances of God." He will be, at that point, um, after uh, Leviticus, he will be given a sacrificial system. But it won't save him. In fact, even in the Old Testament, you hear this, circumcise your hearts. Right? What is done externally, he says, it's got to be real inside. 
so when we baptize a child, we do it in the very same manner that, that I gave my son and my daughter my last name. You are a part of our family. Right? You're a part of our family, and you will be taught and you will be warned. All right, now, two weeks from now, we're going to receive some communicants. All right, so they're kids that have grown up in our church, praise God, and of their own accord, they now say that I, I hold on to this. I not only understand the table and the gospel, but I accept it. I surrender my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as an act of their faith, they come to the table. Um, and so in, in Presbyterian circles, believing there is a continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament, not just Presbyterian, Reformed circles, we, we, we baptize a child as a sign of the covenant. And then when the child makes a profession of faith, they receive the other sacrament, the Lord's Supper. So the first answer, Paul says to them, don't forget this, Abraham was given righteousness by God. It was credited to him. It was the gift to him. And it was before he was circumcised. Make sure you have the placement right. When I do a wedding, a couple goes through and they, and they make vows. So uh, a couple stands before me. It is a covenant ceremony. Uh, a couple stands before me and I ask uh, the man, will you have this woman? I ask the woman, will you have this man? Do be your wedded spouse to live together after God's word in the holy state of matrimony. Will you love her, comfort her, honor, keep her? In sickness and in health, will you forsake all others and we be faithful only to her or only to him? As long as you both shall live, they vow before the Lord and before the congregation and their families, yes, I will. Let me go further. I, wife, take you husband to be my wedded husband, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and cherish till death do us part. This I do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses according to God's holy word. You know what comes after that? I ask for a ring. This ring is a sign. This ring doesn't make you keep your vows. This ring reminds you of your vows. This ring is a sign externally to the world. Hands off my wife. Women, leave my husband alone. He has made promises to me. It's a reminder to a husband when he goes on a business trip. I've made a commitment. I've made a vow. It doesn't make him married. It reminds him of the promises. I ask a couple to do it after their vows. You've made these vows. You've made this commitment. Now, here is the sign of that commitment. So in that same manner, we baptize our children as a part of a community. When they make the profession of faith, when they take their vows, they take vows that we, we, we had today, they take their vows. The church body says, you have given us sufficient evidence that you are following Christ. Come to his table. Those children are going to sin after that. They're going to lie. They're going to cheat. They're going to steal. They're going to hit their sister. They're going to kick the dog, right? They're going to be shoddy on their chores sometimes and blame each other. They're going to continue to sin. But that doesn't mean they've all of a sudden lost their place. It means that as they grow older, the table will actually be more meaningful to them. They'll, they'll hunger for it more. As they grow, they'll grow in their ability to sin and their understanding of sin. Um, and so the apostle here is saying, don't mistake the sacrament. Don't abuse it. You know, and I have to go humorously to Nacho Libre. 
right? There's a great theological treatise in Nacho Libre, right? Why have you not been baptized? Right? And you remember that scene. If you've seen Nacho Libre, if you have it, shame on you. This is America. Uh, Jack Black <laughs> takes his, his, his partner's head, right, who says, I believe in science, right? And, and he's worried about it. What does he do? He sneaks up. He's like, hi And he baptizes him, right? Right? That, that, what is he thinking? Oh, I've, I've just at least got to get this done. Like, it's, it's, it's going to work, right? That, that is his mindset, right? Uh, and, of course, I mean, it's humorous, but, but, again, that is a misuse of the sacrament. It's saying that, that it's, it's the actual function of it that saves me, not what it represents that saves me. Um, then we come to the ring, and the bride and the groom, they repeat, I give you a ring as a symbol of my commitment to you. I have them say, with all that I am and all that I have, I honor you. And I have them say it in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle says, if, if you put circumcision, and now in our context, if we put baptism, if we put uh, communion, if we put that before receiving the grace of God, then, then we are making a terrible mistake. The second answer then is what I would call sacramental union. I probably shouldn't use that word. It means different things in different circles. But, but what we mean by it is the, what, the, what the sacrament does and, and the way the scriptures talk about it is it, it symbolizes. So when you read in Titus, baptism which saves you, uh, he is not saying that the actual soaking of water, and he says that, not, not, the, not the washing of water, but, but the commitment of your conscience and your heart towards the Lord. Um, so we, we understand what, what then does the sacrament mean. Um, in our text, in verse 11, it says, uh, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And so the sacrament is a seal, uh, a seal. Uh, you know, when you... When you purchase some land or when you go to a notary and they take that embossing thing and they put it on that piece of paper it's a seal it says you've been you have been sealed and set apart to the christian it says uh, the holy spirit has been sent to you as a seal to remind you the holy spirit is sent to you that your heart when it doubts the goodness of God, the Spirit of God says, no, I will speak to your spirit that you are sons of God, that you belong to him, that you are not an orphan, that I will come to you, I will not leave you. The Holy Spirit is that seal. It's an external thing, a sign also, a sign and a seal of the covenant of grace. Uh, during the Reformation, uh, the, the Catholic Church had seven, I think it's seven, um, sacraments, and those sacraments had a purpose in and of themselves. Uh, they were believed and it was taught that the sacrament actually gives grace. It is, it is a way that God's grace comes to a person. And so whether the person understood it or not, whether the person had faith or not, it still had value. And so that's why when we get to the New Testament, that Paul warns against it. He says, no, 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 no. If your heart is not right, don't eat, don't drink. I administered the sacrament for a presbytery yesterday. Right? A whole bunch of pastors and elders, right? A whole bunch of Christian folks. You know what I did? I fenced the table. 
told him a story of a 58-year-old that had been an elder in a church, an elder in the OPC. Now, if you know Presbyterianism, like the OPC, they look at us as flaming liberals, right? OPC, yeah, they're pretty, they're pretty, they're pretty tight on their theology. Remember when one church was complaining that I didn't give them enough vision, one of the buddies goes, well, we should just join the OPC because we have no vision. I'm like, cool. <laughs> this guy was an OPC elder 10 years. Came up and said, I've never, never surrendered my life to Christ. It's all been an act at the table. Had to go back, repent horrible things to his wife, to his family, to his children. Um, we warn, don't take it in an unworthy manner. Don't take it just in case. Uh, we, we, we admit children to the table when they make a public profession of faith. I ask them, or one of the elders asks them, hey, if your parents leave Christianity, are you still a Christian? Is it yours? Or is it theirs? I ask parents, <laughs> you willing to have your child go through church discipline? If they wander, you're willing. Um, so we, we take it seriously that it is an external sign. It's telling the world. And what's the beautiful thing about the sacrament of communion is we are telling the world as we take the bread, Christ's body takes the place of mine. <laughs> it's not in my baptism. It's not even in my faith. It is in him that I rest. We drink the cup. Tell the world by public display, I trust that Christ's blood was sufficient and it was necessary for me to be declared right in God's sight. So we treat the sacrament as intended. A seal, uh, as Ralph Davis says, they're, they're given not to make God's promises more sure, but to make us more sure of God's promises. A sign that unifies, as Hodge says in his commentary on Roman, what answers well as a sign is miserable substitute for the thing signified. And so that leaves us really with four possibilities of people. Um, those circumcised with faith. Call that the first group. Those who have been circumcised in our culture, baptized uh, with faith, are justified before God. Those uncircumcised or unbaptized with faith, faith in Christ alone, in His grace alone, are justified before God. Now, when that happens, someone joins our church on our little form. We say, have you been baptized? And the reason we say that is because we're told to be baptized. Right? So sometimes people say, well, we Presbyterians don't believe in believer's baptism. I'm like, well, no, we, we believe in believer's baptism, but not just believers only. Like, we hold that, that these other passages, Acts, uh, talk about families and connection with circumcision, um, but, but if someone has not been baptized, then they need the sign, they need the mark, they need the seal of the people of God, of the covenant people. So, um, but it's not that baptism that saves them. Those circumcised and are baptized without faith, are lost. Those baptized, uh, you know, maybe three, four, five times, who do not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, are lost. We don't keep, we don't keep doing it hoping it's going to take. 
right? Uh, and those who have not been baptized, of course, uncircumcised, without faith, are lost. Uh, so that, that's really that's where we leave this text. So you just kind of have to ask yourself this. You know, I said earlier that never at a funeral does someone say, Bob was circumcised on the eighth day. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, right? And you don't think that way, and I don't think that way, but what way do you think? Maybe a good way to, to answer this question for yourself is, when things aren't going the way you think God should make them go, what do you point to? What do you point to and say, you owe me this, Father, because I've prayed, because I've served, because I was baptized, because I'm an officer in your church, because I'm a missionary, because I'm a pastor, because I'm a really good mom and I put up with these kids, right? What, what do you go to that makes you think you have a right to his grace? That's what the apostle is saying, and it was poignant for them because it really was. It, it is, we are a different people because this was done to us. We have, we have a get out of hell free mark on our body. And when you find that thing, repent. As Luther says, the Christian repents of their sins, but they more importantly <laughs> repent of their righteousness. We, re we repent of our self-righteousness before the Lord. Surely for us it's not circumcision, but do the work and invite the Holy Spirit to do the work. What do I rest on other than the finished work of my Savior? Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you that you make these things clear to us, and in doing so, you give us freedom. You give us assurance. Thank you for the sacrament before us. You set apart these elements and you will, Father, use this as a means of grace to us. Through our trust and through the taking and through our senses, we would know we are united to Christ now and forevermore by his death. Would you use the sacrament, Father, to increase our faith? Holy Spirit, as we have asked, will you show us all other things that, that seem to subtly work their way into our thinking of why we are deserving of your grace. And in so doing, will you make the work of Christ bigger in our hearts? Will you make us more joyful worshipers? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.